Father, we thank you for this time, this very um, important time of opening up your word to be instructed by you, uh, to be given your spirit to understand it. We do pray as we sung that this time would cause us to trust you more, to love your word more, and that your spirit would plant your word into our hearts and deep down that we may live by it and bear fruit and worship you. We thank you for this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is in Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also, greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epaphanatus, my beloved, who is the first convert of, to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trephania and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I've titled this sermon, Love and Ministry. Love and Ministry, or Love in Ministry. We need to have the right view and perspective of who we are, as we learned last week about being a part of the body, belonging to body, using the grace-given gifts by the Spirit to serve one another. And now that's to give us an understanding of our place within local church, and now we're to see a perspective of that expanding outwards beyond just Grace Church in Connecticut. Uh, as it relates to, again, God's plan and his mission for his people, the church. In Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul expounds on the mercies of God, how we're condemned, how we're justified, how we're saved, how God is sovereign over all of it. And beginning in Romans chapter 12 through the end, chapter 16, he exhorts us how to live in light of the mercies of God. How do we apply the truths of the gospel in a way that's going to impact our, our lives, how we live, what we do, our relationships? And Paul emphasizes what Jesus emphasized and what the Old Testament emphasized, and that is love. Love. What ought to drive our hearts and lives is love for God and love for others. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 39 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. That was the message of the Old Testament. That, that was the message of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Paul to the church. The love of Christ is to permeate and saturate all of our relationships and all of the people that we cross paths with. They're not just random occurrences. They're appointed by God, the people that he places into our lives, people that he surrounds us with at our school or workplaces or neighborhoods. Romans 12 talks about uh, our relationship to God, our relationship to the body of Christ, our relationship to our enemies who persecute us. We are to bless them and pray for them and overcome evil by doing good. Romans 13 talks about our relation to the governing authorities, understanding that God has sovereignly placed them over us. We are to submit under them. Our relation to one another as well. Romans 14.15 talks about our relationship to Christians of varying degrees of faith and in relation to Christian liberties and understanding what that is and our consciences and how to make informed decisions. Romans 16 talks about our relation to, as we see in this list, Christians from all over the world, from all over different places. What is to be central in all of these areas and relationships is love for God and love for them. That is primary. But how that is lived out and displayed and demonstrated through our lives is by serving Him and serving them and living a life of ministry. Living a life of ministry. That means that our lives are to be a life of ministry. Those two things go together as a Christian. They're not separate things. Ministry is not just done on Sundays at church. Ministry is done wherever you are, all the time, serving the Lord where he has placed you. So our entire lives as a Christian, being in Christ, is to be one of serving him. It's a life of ministry. And this is the conclusion, chapter 16, to Paul's letter to both Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome. He's writing to a church that he has never visited, but he longs to see them. He desires to visit them. And Paul explains to them at the end of chapter 15 why he hasn't visited them in the past, why he hasn't visited them in the present, and how he might be able to visit them in the future if God wills. Paul was concerned with fulfilling his God-given ministry. In other words, he was focused on obeying God's will wherever he was at. And if the Lord would direct him to Rome, he'd go serve and be faithful to the Lord in Rome. If the Lord moved him to Spain, which is where he wanted to be as well, then he would go and serve and be faithful to the Lord there. Wherever the Lord moved Paul, he was faithful to serve the Lord. Paul prioritized faithfulness to God wherever he was at. He understood that if he, if he was prevented from going somewhere, that that was the Lord's will. And so he trusted in the Lord. He had peace that he was to remain faithful where he was. That was exactly where God wanted him to be. And we can have the same trust and peace as well in our lives. Effective ministry requires a commitment to serve the Lord. Effective ministry requires a commitment to serve the Lord, a Christ-like love for people, and an understanding that what God is doing is much bigger than yourself. Effective ministry is not accomplished alone either. 
and it's not meant to be accomplished alone. You are only a member, one of many, within the body of Christ. And so the necessity of relationships is absolutely required. It requires a deep personal love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for fellow workers and fellow servants and fellow saints, because we are all doing the work of ministry together, because each of us has been called to live to live a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Paul shares here that his ministry life for Christ, that a big part of that was his relationships with people, with fellow believers, with fellow ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what they all share shared was a common purpose, and that was to do God's will because they are all in Christ. And so in this list, we have 27 names, names of people that Paul wanted to personally acknowledge. And how did Paul know so many people there in Rome if he wasn't able to visit them? How is he able to list 27 people by name and some of their families in a church that he had never visited or attended? How does he have a personal relationship with so many believers in this church? These are his friends in ministry, friends that he ministered to, friends that he was ministered by, friends that he ministered with. God divinely ordained all of them. God divinely ordained all of them for their mutual edification. Paul was blessed wherever he was at by these brothers and sisters. And wherever Paul went, he blessed other brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you think about your own life, as God has moved you from place to place or from vocation to vocation or from different areas of work, you you meet people, you grow to love them, you serve one another, and you mutually edify one another, you strengthen one another. And so in this passage, Paul greets fellow ministers of the gospel so that we would recognize the importance of love in ministry or love in ministry. We'll focus on the ministry of three different people or three different people groups. These are not just names, but they are people who will teach us about love and ministry. That's to characterize our lives, knowing that our lives are to be lives of ministry for the Lord. We'll look at the ministry of a single woman, Secondly, we'll look at the ministry of a husband and wife. And thirdly, we'll look at the ministry of this church, of the church in Rome. So first, verses 1 and 2, the ministry of a single woman. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the Lord, servant of the church which is in Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Phoebe is a Gentile woman. Her name means bright and radiant. And Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Why does Paul commend her to the church in Rome? Why does he do that? In the first century context, a messenger who was sent from place to place often brought with them a letter of commendation, of recommendation, of approval, And this letter of commendation was written by the sender, in this case, Paul, to be received by the people whom the messenger was going to. In this case, again, Paul is sending the letter through Phoebe to the church in Rome, which tells us, again, Phoebe was responsible with a very important task, delivering this letter, this divinely inspired letter by Paul, contains the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to 
the saints in Rome. The reason for that commendation, again, was because the, the recipient of the letter, the, the churches in Rome, didn't know who Phoebe was. And Paul needed to tell them that she's approved. I commend her to you. You can, this letter that she's passing on to you is, is real. It's authentic. It can be trusted. And so the apostle Paul wanted to introduce with this affirming statement or testimony their sister in Christ, Phoebe. Paul is giving Phoebe this commendation letter as she moves and transports his letter to the Romans. And we're told in verse 1 that she comes from a church which is at Sincrea, which is an area in Corinth, which is the place where Paul is writing this letter. So notice at the end of verse 2 that she herself has also been a helper of many. Paul describes her as being a helper of many and of myself as well. She helped Paul in his ministry. And the word used for helper is only used once in the New Testament. It means to be a patron. It specifically indicates that she was a monetary provider. She had funds and resources to be able to financially support Christians. And so that tells us she had means, and she used those means to help others for the edification of the church. Paul asked the believers in Rome, in verse 2, to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. That would have brought to mind what Paul had just instructed them in Romans chapter 15, as to what it means to welcome one another. Now he's saying to live it out. Romans 15.7 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome, accept, receive the sister in Christ with this affectionate love, this family member. And also notice in verse 1 that Phoebe is a servant. She's a servant. The Greek word used is diakonos, which translates to deacon. This is a broad and general term that refers to someone who serves, just general service. And it's difficult to interpret because there's no gender attached to it, which is why when it comes to the church office of a deacon, some will hold to position of male deacons only, while some churches will hold to both male and female deacons. The word or title servant can be used unofficially, as it's just a general servant who serves the people of God in any capacity, or it can be used as an official term, as in the church office of a deacon, where they serve more specifically. I would argue here that she held an official position of a deacon because notice the following qualifying words in verse 1. Paul says that she is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea, meaning specifically at this local congregation at Sincrea, not just generally as a Christian anywhere. And also because she was entrusted with such a, a task as delivering this letter probably meant that she was affirmed to be in a position to do that as a representative of that church and as a help to the elders. But whether she held the office of a deacon or not, the primary description Paul uses in defining this sister Phoebe is that she is a servant. Phoebe is a servant. She's one who serves, one who gives herself for the good of others. In other words, she used her gifts and means to serve the church. She used her gifts and means to serve the church. In what was a male-dominated society, where women were considered as second-class individuals in the Roman Empire, the Apostle Paul commended the sister Phoebe because women are 
equally as important in the ministry of the church. Out of all the people he could have chosen, he entrusted Phoebe with this important letter. She was one of Paul's biggest helpers. Women are not inferior to men. Women are not inferior to men. And that's not stated anywhere in Scripture either. They are described as being weaker in First Peter 3. That's why they need to be protected and cared for, because they're more vulnerable. And that's a grace of God. That's how God set it up. They're called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord in Ephesians 5, but not because they are lesser or because they are not as valuable and precious in the sight of God in whose image they're created in. But God has a divinely created order to help keep order in the world. We see that in government. We see that in the family. We see that in the church. And we are to uphold that and live by that in the ways that he lays out in the word of God, not the ways that we want to. Women have specific God-given roles, as do men within the church, and we're all to be servants of Christ because we have differing gifts with differing functions. And also remember Titus chapter 2, where the instruction is given for older women to encourage the younger women. As they're being reverent in their behavior, they're to teach younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be pure, to be sensible, to be workers at home. That's what they are to do. They have a role in that way that men aren't given. Men, likewise, are to be sensible and show by their good deeds and encourage younger men in the faith as well. So whereas men qualified as elders are to lead and govern and shepherd and oversee the flock of God, Men and women are called to serve him in various and different ways, but it must be according to the scriptures. There's a lot of people who will take God not accepting women as pastors nowadays, as God not being loving, or in some way God looking down on women as if they weren't capable or aren't capable enough. But the issue isn't with God. The issue is not with God or if the woman is capable or not. It's with the woman who wants to be a pastor. She's not submitting to the authority of God's design. She's not obeying God's will. And we have churches all over the place who have female pastors. And they're doing it in the name of love. That's how they're portraying it. We're an accepting church. We're a loving church. Come here. But that's not a biblical description of a loving church. That's a church where people love themselves because they're unwilling to submit to God's word and obey him. Women are just as useful and needed as men within the church, but it has to be according to God's word. And here Paul highlights Phoebe as an example of a faithful servant who used her gifts and resources to help many as well as help Paul himself. And she was entrusted by Paul to carry this letter, and they were to receive and welcome her in whatever way that she had need of. They were to express love to her through serving her as a fellow servant of Christ. God uses different people to serve him, and we are to welcome and love them. This also has application to singles. Singles. Singles have an opportunity to serve the Lord in a way where they're, in a sense, more freed up to. 
Phoebe was able to travel to carry this letter. She was able to give more of her financial resources, being single, not having to care for and provide for a, a, a family or children. She loved the church, and she was loved by the church, and she served as a faithful sister in Christ. This also teaches us that really loneliness doesn't exist for the Christian. Loneliness does not exist for the Christian. We have the greatest comforter in God, in Christ, in the Spirit, who causes his friend. And we also have an eternal family that we're united to. You are never alone as a Christian. So not only do we see the ministry of this individual sister Phoebe, but notice secondly, in verses 3 through 5, the ministry of a husband and a wife. Verse 3, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So beginning in verse 3, Paul begins to address those who were members of this Roman congregation. And the first two people he greets is a wife named Prisca, which is short for Priscilla, and a husband named Aquila. What relationship does Paul have with this couple? How did he come to know this husband and wife? Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 says, After these things he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So Paul met this Jewish couple in the city of Corinth because Claudius had banished all Jews out of Rome, which tells us that they were originally from Rome. But in Corinth, they were together in the synagogue. In the traditional Jewish synagogue, men were separated from the women. Men would sit on one side and fellowship together by their profession, and women would sit on the other side. And in Acts 18, continuing on in verses 3 and 4, it says, He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. Paul stayed with um, Prisca and Aquila, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So that tells us that they did the same work. Paul and Aquila were both tent makers. And while in Corinth, Paul lived with his husband and wife family, and so they became close friends. They also did ministry together. There's a reason why Paul chose to greet Prisca and Aquila first in the people that he desires to greet and send his love to. They were, as Romans 16.3 says, fellow workers in Christ Jesus with Paul, co-workers with him, co-ministers of the gospel. Not only were they partners in vocation, but they were partners in the gospel. They shared uh, the same purpose in ministry and life. And in Acts 18, verse 18 and 19, it says, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out for, put out to sea for Syria. And with them were Prisca and Aquila. Verse 19, they came to Ephesus and he left them there. So as Paul leaves for Ephesus, he takes along with him this husband and wife. And as they get to Ephesus, Paul entrusts now this ministry to of this Ephesus church to them. And we see the impact of their ministry as they bring Apollos into a fuller understanding of Christ in Acts 18, again, verses 24 to 26. It says, There are now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures, 
This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Notice that this ministry was shared with both husband and wife. Out of the six times that this family was mentioned in Scripture, never once are they ever mentioned apart. It's always Prisca and Aquila. You never see them alone. In Acts 18, verse 26, Apollos began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, it says they together took him aside and explained to him the ways of God more accurately. In other words, both husband and wife viewed ministry as a high priority for their family. Both husband and wife viewed ministry as a high priority for their family. And they each thought ministry to be something worth sacrificing themselves for. Life is ministry. And ministry is life. And it impacts everything that we do. Whether you are single or whether you are married. And this couple wholeheartedly believed that. It's not just the husband who gave himself to God's people or the wife who gave herself to God's people. It's both of them giving themselves to God's people. Romans sixteen three to 5 again, says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epaphonatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Eventually, this family would return back to Rome when they were allowed to, and they continued ministry there, both the husband and wife, because now believers were meeting to worship in their house, it says. Wherever they were, you found them, husband and wife, giving themselves to the people of God, serving God, serving them. And they they even were willing to give their lives for Paul, says in verse 4, they risked their own necks for his life. They were willing to die together in their ministry because that was life to them. They knew the cost and they knew that it was worth it. So what do we learn about this this couple? Verse 3, they're fellow workers. They're fellow workers together in Christian ministry. Verse 4, they risked their lives. They were fully committed and devoted servants. They understood the, the cost of discipleship. Verse 4 again, they blessed many. They blessed many. They served wherever they went. Whether they were moved out of Rome to Corinth, they served there. When they were allowed back to Rome, they continued serving there. Verse 5, they hosted a church in their home. They're hospitable. They wanted to serve the Lord using what they had. And so if being single frees you up to serve, we see here that being married or having a family doesn't excuse you from giving your lives to serve the church together. They were kicked out of their hometown, had to relocate. They found a church. They started serving. Then they returned to their hometown a few years later. And what did they do? They started serving again together. It didn't matter where they were or if it was temporary. They found a place to serve God's people. So we've seen the ministry of a single woman, Phoebe, how she blessed many with her resources and served Paul in many ways and carried this letter to the Roman church, the ministry of a husband and wife, Prisca and Coila, and how they 
gave their lives, even willing to die, for the ministry. Now we'll look at verses 3 through 16, the ministry of this church. When you look at the names in this section as a whole, what you find is the ministry of the church as a whole. As you read through these verses, a few things stand out. These Christian believers, first, they worked hard in ministry. These believers worked hard in ministry. Verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 12, greet Trephenia and Trephosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Christian believers work hard to fulfill the ministry that God has called them to. And worked hard is a a term that means to work to exhaustion, to labor diligently, to give all of yourself to this work, to accomplish a task. The believers who made up the church, those were those who worked hard in serving the Lord and serving those around them. They labored and exerted themselves for the work of the Lord. It requires their entire lives. It requires a life committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we understand that, if we understand who we are as servants of Christ, we will give ourselves to serving him. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, Imitate us because we were not idle, we were not lazy, we were not slothful, we were not time wasters when we were with you. In other words, ministry requires hard work. And beyond that, ministry is not just for pastors, as we see in this list. Notice that this list is not a list of pastors, but of faithful church members, of faithful Christians who know that they're called to serve the Lord, and they were using their gifts to serve the Lord. Notice that this list here is, again, filled with people who just love the Lord and gave their lives to work hard for the Lord. They loved God. They loved each other. Look at verse 5. Greet the church that is in their house. Greet Paphanatus, my beloved. A term of great love for their brothers and sisters. Verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Verse 12. Greet Persis, the beloved. These are terms of endearment, of love. There was a genuine and real affection that flowed from believer to believer. When Paul says, greet this person and greet that person, he's asking the church to carry on this greeting of love to one another. And he uses that word greet 13 times. 13 times to say, carry my love to each one of these people that I've listed here that are there in Rome, that I can't be with, but I love so much, I want you to send my love to them. This is like being away on a trip and me calling and telling Charlotte and Lucy, give Hannah a kiss for me because I can't be there right now. And telling Charlotte and Lucy, give Hannah a kiss for me because I can't be there right now. Send my greeting, my affection, my love to her in that way. Greet with love. And four times in the New Testament, it says greet one another with a holy kiss. That's a holy affection, not a romantic type of kiss. This was normal in the first century context. It was commonplace to greet one another with a kiss on the cheek or on the forehead as a sign of closeness, as being part of the same family. This would be similar to a hug between friends and family members. 
So we see that they worked hard in serving one another because they loved the Lord and they loved one another. Notice that they worked hard not to earn Christ, not to earn their salvation, but because they were in Christ. Verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers, in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, greet Adronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who were who also were in Christ before me. Verse 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13, if you look at your text, they all emphasize that these were people who were in Christ. And so because they are in Christ, they loved the Lord, they loved God's people, they gave their lives and worked hard to serve him. Because they are in Christ. Being in Christ changes our lives, what we give our time and resources to. These believers are in Christ and they served out of love for one another because of the love of God that had saved them. When you look at this list of names in Romans chapter 16, you'll also find diversity. You find sisters. You find brothers. You find a mother. You find a patron. You find tent makers. You find kinsmen. You find prisoners. You have a single woman. You have a husband and wife. You have a household. You have slaves. You have wealthy people. You have poor people. There are Jewish names listed, Latin names listed, Greek names listed here. But at the end of the day, what defined these individuals was that they were in Christ. And they were living for Christ. Because they are all one in Christ. They're all one in Christ. And so they love one another with Christ-like love and serve one another. We can learn so much more in this passage about each individual name that's listed. For example, we can learn about the ministry of a, a father who is not named here, but who is mentioned in the Gospels as Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross and the influence as he witnessed that scene that he had on one of his sons, Rufus, who is listed in verse 13. And he's intentionally mentioned in Mark 15, verse 21, that he was one of the sons of Simon. But what do we learn from this list of names is that genuine Christian love is personal. Genuine Christian love is personal, not just general. Paul takes time to greet specific individuals. Paul was a theologian. He was a missionary. He was a church planter for Christ. He was well-versed in Scripture, but more foundational than all of those, Paul was a believer who had a deep personal love and affection for others. And that's evident in all his letters. He praises God, and then he prays for them. If he hasn't been there, he wants to go see them. And what's the main purpose in wanting to see them? He wants to encourage them. He wants to love them. He wants to use his gifts for their benefit. And he wants to be strengthened by them as well. Paul uses the word beloved four times. And he even goes the extra mile here to show Christians in Rome that he loved them by including them in this letter. He's like, I'm not with you, but I know who you are. I know the impact that you had, not in only in my life, but in the lives of those around you. And I want to send my greeting of love to you. Christian love is personal and intentional, not just general and assumed. It's about actually serving one another and with one another and praying for one another. Not just 
what I'll call social media relationships. Not just checking their status on Facebook or Instagram and that's, that's how you know how they're doing. But understand also that's, that's just a, a comment. That's not a real picture of how they are, where they're at with the Lord, how they're feeling, what they're doing, how you can pray for them. How are you loving others as you are living to serve the Lord? Are you willing and wanting to give yourself to a life of ministry? Understanding that this is what the Lord has called you to, to serve Him wherever He has you. To live a life of discipling and making disciples as you go about. To making Him known through evangelism and growing those who are in the faith to become more like Christ. Genuine love is personal. It's not just general. And we see that in this list of names that Paul gives to us. Secondly, genuine Christian ministry is not done alone. It's not done alone. It's bigger than ourselves. It doesn't matter, again, if you are single, like Phoebe. It doesn't matter if you're married, a father, a mother, younger or older. If you are in Christ, you have a part to play. No believer gets to sit on the bench and watch and just sit back and relax. We're all in the church because we have been called into the church for a purpose. For a purpose. And we are to participate according to God's plan and purpose for us. We learn in this passage about working together. Working together. We learn about unity in Christ. We learn about all Christians serving the Lord wherever they're at giving their lives in love and ministry for the glory of God. This passage presents us with many believers from various backgrounds and from different places working together for Christ. This is a visible manifestation of the love of God and that transforming power of the gospel, that we have a deep love for others and a committed devotion to fulfill the ministry that God has given to us and called us to. Remember that not only are these dear friends but they are beloved family members. They're not just dear friends, they're beloved eternal family members because of God's gracious love towards us. Therefore, our union with Christ and our unity in Christ ought to compel us to love and minister the gospel together as one body, as one family, with one focus, the glory of God, by making him known to the ends of the earth and wherever the Lord has us. We must know what the Lord has called us to. It's who we are. It's our identity as his stewards, as his ambassadors. This is the role and function of the church. And we've been called into the church. We cannot lose sight of what it is that we are to do and what our lives are for. We've denied ourselves. We've taken up our cross. We want to follow Jesus. Jesus gives very direct statements in the gospel about what a life committed to him looks like, and it's very black and white. It's not radical. People think that if you give your entire life to Christ, you're being some radical missionary. You're just being faithful. God provides the, the means and the spirit and the word and other believers to help us, but it's not radical living. It's just Christian living. And, and living in the world has really influenced Christians in how they live. 
It's caused us to lose sight of our priority, where our focus should be as, as those who proclaim Christ. And it's easy to become consumed by the things of this world, which Paul, beginning in chapter 12, reminds us, do not be conformed to this world. But even before that, give your entire life to me. Serve me. Worship me. Do not love the world. This is not radical living. This is Christian living. This is obedient living to the Lord. We are his servants. This is who we are. This is what we do. And we should rejoice that the Lord is working in and through us by his spirit, has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to demonstrate that love towards and has called us to do the greatest thing in this world. Not only as a way to serve and worship him, but to bring a message that that gives life, that gives hope, that gives true peace to those who need it. We've been saved by the gospel to go proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the church is the institution that God has ordained to do that. And if we're not doing that, then people aren't hearing the gospel. If we're not doing that, we're not living up to the calling to which we have been called. We are to live in light of the gospel by proclaiming the gospel and living a life that's in light of the gospel. The question for us is, what, what makes us different? Not that, not just that we're saved and we understand that. Are we just saved people who meet on Sundays and that's the only distinguishing mark between us and the world? No. It's because our entire lives are supposed to be a testimony of the grace of God, of the mercy of God in our lives that transforms us to be true servants, to be true worshipers wherever we are. Our entire lives are a life of ministry that is to be given over to the Lord. And so, yes, everything does look different. And again, to go back, it doesn't mean that everyone has to give themselves full time to serve in a capacity like an elder or or paid by the church or anything like that. It's where you are. It's where you are. You're a Christian in your workplace. Now, there's rules and there's things that you don't want to get fired for just proclaiming Christ all day long, but you're there for a reason. God places Christians everywhere around the world intentionally and specifically and purposefully. And it's encouraging to hear people like Tony talk about his coworkers and his heart for them. For, for Charlotte to, to hear about her students and wanting them to know the Lord because God has placed her there over them to teach them. And different, different stories of people understanding that. And though you may not be able to do it during work hours, you have a connection to those people that can go beyond those work hours that you don't have unless God has placed you there and surrounded you with them. Everything in this life is intentional. It's purposeful. And that means every person that God brings into our lives. And we have to remember that. And if we're Christians, we know there's a purpose. 
If it's a fellow brother or sister, we encourage them in the faith. If it's someone who who is not in Christ, then we have an opportunity. We engage. We pray. We love them by speaking truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're not in this alone. We thank you that even thinking about our own lives, how many people have encouraged us in the faith, brought us into the church, taught us, maybe even in Sunday school and youth group and the impact that they had on us. It's because you placed them there at that time to make an impact upon our lives. And I pray that we would see our entire lives as a life of ministry that's to be given over to you, knowing that it's an act of worship, knowing that it glorifies you. And and as a church, to know that we have a high calling, to know that we have an intentional purpose in this world, not to lose sight of that, to make that our priority as we make decisions, as we think about life, uh, to know that uh, what we do and where we are is to be one of service unto you. And so we thank you for the privilege of being saved. Help us not to neglect the responsibility that comes with it. Uh, we thank you for your love that you first shown to us that allows us to love one another in a way that surpasses worldly love. To see how different each one of us are but yet we're so closely bonded together in Christ. And that's evident in the love that we have. A love that might not be as evident if we didn't have this same fellowship in Christ. But now you have brought us together at this time to be together. So I pray that we would give our lives to one another, understanding that we belong to one another and are to be used to strengthen, edify, and love one another. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.